If you need a laugh, here on your behalf It's bad mates, are we fighting crime? Or just wasting time? It's bad mates, lunch, boom, crash, kapow Stream a download, holy cow You can stop listening now to bad mates Because we're bad mates Hello and welcome to Batmates, a podcast that now comes with sound effects. My name is Becca, and I put a spell on you, and now you're mine. My name is Josh, and I'm the funniest person alive. (laughs) Yeah, this was a Christmas present that Becca got me that is going to increase or decrease your podcasting experience depending on how you feel about soundboards. We have been watching a lot, uh, well, I guess I, I should be, have been watching a lot of the Sex and City reboot called And Just Like That. And Carrie is on a podcast, uh, which is super weird and hard to explain what it's even about, but they have a soundboard on that where they can press a button and it goes, woke moment. So I think we're going to add that. I don't think we should. <laughs> we can't have a woke moment button. We only get four buttons for custom sounds on this soundboard. So mm. I think we have to be uh, particular about which ones we actually use. We do. We should have a... a banana, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like the, the Batman uh, in between commercials like yeah. thing from the 66 television series. We should have one of those for transitions. That's a great idea. We should have a, uh, just the leg, ba, 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 ba. Maybe. Uh, can Danny Elfman sue us if we have that? <laughs> I think if we use in, like a short enough version of the song, he can't sue us. Okay. I mean, the guy who did, uh, who did the Batman the Animated podcast, he used like the entire theme song from the animated series. <laughs> with new lyrics. With new lyrics. So maybe that falls under parody. Maybe. Fair use. Yeah. If we get another segment like Squad Goals, we'll have to have the, the segment like thing in there so we don't have to edit it in every time. Yeah. Josh is thinking about doing a, a real actual recorded version of Josh's Fact Corner yeah. theme song. So. so that fills up all four buttons. But if, if listeners have suggestions of what we can put on the soundboard maybe we'll consider them yeah email us at batmatespodcast at gmail.com or you can uh, follow us on twitter and let us know on twitter at batmates um the other one i was thinking of was maybe the sound of like a batarang like flying through the air and hitting something i thought it would be nice to have like the trumpet sound that they do in the 66 television series when they hit somebody (laughs) like You know? I think we might be onto something with a little. That's great. Yeah, that would be great for. I had a good idea. That's so exciting. Live on the air. Okay. Wow. This is a Batman podcast. Becca and I are going to get married. We love each other very much, and we talk about Batman in the Silver Age, and then we cover like the character in the comic that we're covering and how they evolve through time. All true things. But first. We start off with some news. Now, it's been, I want to say, three weeks since we recorded one of these, so there's been quite a bit of news. I have some interesting news regarding some old Batman movies, if you'd sit back and listen to my tales. I'm sitting back. In an interview with Backstage Podcast, Michael Keaton revealed that he did not sign on for Batman Forever because he had met with Joel Schumacher and they had creative differences about the tone of the movie. Keaton wanted the film to be darker, citing his belief that Bruce Wayne's tragic origins and motivations called for a more serious tone. And he's right. Yeah, no, he's right. (laughs) It definitely would have been nice to have a more serious version of Batman Forever. Although I think by the time they had cast uh, 
Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. It was it was out the window for Ugh. a more serious tone. I cannot sanction his buffoonery. <laughs> uh, I also have news about Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck was originally slated to write, direct, produce, and star in his own Batman film before it was reworked into the upcoming Matt Reeves and Robert Pattinson incarnation. Mm-hmm. Originally, the film would have seen Affleck's Batman facing off against Deathstroke, as hinted at in the end of credits scene for Batman v Superman, or as the Batmates like to call it, Son of Sun and Night of Night. A.K.A. Nighty Night, Batman. <laughs> yeah, as uh, Snyder's original vision for the title. I have a question. Is this all from the uh, interview with Ben Affleck that came out a couple days ago? Yeah, it's, it was an interview with LA Times. Yeah. Is this the one where he said, the headline was sort of taken out of context, but the headline almost sort of implied that the reason why Ben Affleck like got divorced and like went had to go through rehab was because like Justice League was so bad. I <laughs> like don't, such a bad experience. I didn't read the entire interview. I just sort of read this little excerpt about him like directing his own Batman film. Yeah. Well, okay, I guess I should I should rephrase that. It wasn't quite that. It was uh the headline sort of implied that the reason that he stopped playing Batman was because Justice League was such a bad experience for him. <laughs> but he goes on to say like but also I was going through a divorce at the time and like my substance abuse issues were getting really bad so it was like a bunch of different things okay okay well in this interview he said that he stepped away from the project because he didn't have the passion that he believed was required to undertake it I'll say he said this about the project I looked at it and thought I'm not going to be happy doing this the person who does this should love it You're supposed to always want these things, and I probably would have loved to doing this at 32 or something, but it was at the point where I started to realize that it's not worth it. Mm. And that's the full quote. Yeah. Oh, I also wanted to mention that the Batman film that would have starred Affleck would have brought Batgirl into the DC Extended Universe. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean... Now they're doing their own Batgirl movie. They are, but Michael Keaton's going to be in it. Yeah, that's right. And he's also going to be in the Flashpoint movie, so like... It's basically confirmed at this point that they're just sort of like resetting everything with that Flashpoint movie. And it's kind of... Yeah. Although Affleck is going to be in the Flashpoint movie. Briefly. It'll be yeah. like a mantle passing. Although that's kind of funny. He's passing the mantle on to Michael Keaton, who's like a thousand. <laughs> I love it. Here, just just take this mantle back. It should have never been taken away from you in the first place. That's Yeah, it's neat to, to that these two news stories sort of pair up to like, you know... Both, both of them walked away from the project because they didn't think that it was going in the direction that it needed to. Mm-hmm. I just you thought gotta it, was, love it. You know, it was interesting. That Do you these, think... these actors, like, I guess they hold the character in such high regard that, like, they didn't want to just get another paycheck, you know? Yeah. Do you think Robert Pattinson loves it? Or do you think it's another paycheck for him? I think he likes it. I think he likes it. I don't know if he loves it. I remember early on the press was for his prep was he was like refusing to work out as much as his personal trainer wanted him to. Really? Because he and he kind of made this big statement that was like, I don't want to, you know, perpetrate negative body stereotypes by (laughs) by having this like perfect body. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Robert Pattinson has always been sort of, you know. But he also was sort of like, also, I don't really want to work out that much. Also, I'm lazy. (laughs) But he's great. I'm I'm really excited. I've always I've always enjoyed Robert Pattinson 
for all time, always, and everything that he's always, always, always done. And yes, that does include Twilight. <laughs> he's doing his best. Okay. Well, speaking of The Batman, it was also revealed that The Batman will release on HBO on April 19th, which oh. is 45 days after its theatrical release. Oh. So those of you who... Uh, can wait and don't mind spoilers, I guess, mm. and have an HBO Max subscription and don't want to pay the $14 that it would take to get you into a movie, then you can wait 45 days and you will be able to see it, month and a half, and you will be able to see it on your TV at home. Yeah. Or, you know, if you go and you see it and you like it and you want to watch it again. Yeah. It's where the Warner Brothers is waiting that time period between it releasing in theaters and releasing on HBO Max because, you know, they had all their releases last year, like Dune and Matrix, that were same day. Yeah, day and date. I think it's because Warner Brothers still makes more money from movie ticket sales. Uh, even though they own HBO, they make more movie at a theatrical release. Also, it's like more impressive when you can tout like box office numbers that are very high. Yeah. They're the, like Dune and Matrix and all those ones that release day and date and like Wonder Woman and stuff had, you know, what people would normally call abysmal box office numbers because they released at the same time, even though they had like huge viewership numbers in, at, on HBO Max. Yeah. I'm wondering if this has anything to do with the fact that like, no Way Home had such huge box office numbers. They really think that like a superhero movie can like fill the theater. But like, let's be honest, we would not have gone to see No Way Home in theaters unless there had been that huge media push of like, ooh, I don't know, multiverse, like what's going to happen? That's like true. you knew you had to go see it as soon as possible and like in a theater because you didn't want to get spoiled with what we all knew was already going to happen. Yeah, I feel like it. not a whole lot is going to happen in the Batman. That's no, gonna, like, nothing's spoil going stuff to happen. Anything else, really? It's just a dark, gritty remake of Batman Begins, basically, <laughs> with the Riddler. Marvel's got their own thing rolling along, though. Yeah. Okay, uh, I want to move on. Uh, still talking about the Batman. If you'd like to get a head start on your Halloween costume... And you know I do. Costumes.com has released their The Batman costume lineup. That's right. For just $38.99, you can get a plastic mask and a long sleeve shirt that has Pattinson's bat suit printed on it. Oh, God. <laughs> that Catwoman is so terrible. Or for... $58.99, you can get a weird burglar mask and jumpsuit with the details of Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman suit printed on it. The Batman adult costume looks like Abed in that one episode of Community where he goes to the costume party dressed as Batman. I mean, it's it's 100% just that. It's like, you know, the Halloween costume version of these costumes, which is to say, like, in the Batman movie, Robert Pattinson's Batsuit is like, armor basically Pretty and much. this is just a shirt that has armor printed on it i love it they look comfy they look like jammies the thing that, that like strikes me is that so that the 38.99 was the batman it comes with a mask and the shirt and like a, a little sheer cape that probably costs like two cents or whatever but you can get the deluxe version that has like these tops of boots mm -hmm. on it and it's a full like costume that has legs on it as well nice so you don't have to wear black pants to complete the look nice <laughs> very cool 
So yeah, uh, you know, get a head start and go and order that costume from costumes.com. Yeah, because you know what? In October, everyone's going to be thinking about the Batman movie that came out in March. Exactly. <laughs> okay. And then also the Funko Pops for the Batman uh, were, were released, or at least the designs were. So you can see... Oh my god, I love the wingsuit! The wingsuit one. The the one with like Robert Pattinson's dark eyes around it. Guyliner. They all look stupid and silly. I like the one of him uh, just regular, just looking like sad Bruce. <laughs> like well, in just a long coat. I like it. I think that's what Robert Pattinson looks like on most days. Yeah, so if you want a Robert Pattinson Funko Pop, <laughs> just get the one from the, the Batman like Funko Pop line. That's just Robert Pattinson on a Wednesday. <laughs> The one for the Riddler looks silly, too. He looks like a surgeon. <laughs> Nobody would look at that and be... I guess, I don't know. Do you think this movie's going to be iconic? Like, do you think that people are going to look at that no. and be like, Ah, yes, the Riddler from the Batman movie. Are they going to be like, what's that weird surgeon on your shelf? No. I really am hoping that I'll enjoy this movie, but I really don't think I will. <laughs> You, what, the costume designs are rubbing you the wrong way? No, it's not the costume designs. The trailers seem weird. It just looks, the tone seems weird. It doesn't really feel like a Batman movie. I'm honestly, and like this is me saying this, I'm kind of batman out. I like, I'm not sure how I'm going to feel about it. I, we'll see. I should go into it with an open mind. I know. And like, look, am I Spider-Man out? Yes. Was I still blown away by that movie? Yes. And like, for what? I don't know. Nostalgia? But I don't know. I just don't really know if there's a Batman movie that can make me feel what like an episode of Batman Beyond makes me feel. <laughs> I don't know. Hmm. Okay. It's just that it's that tone and that quality of writing that you really just don't see anymore because it doesn't feel like anybody understands this character anymore. It's true. No, Except you're right. Paul Dini. Except Paul Dini. Yeah, <laughs> it's like old. Paul Dini is like one of the only people who still understands the character. It's like no one knows how to write a compelling mystery. No one understands how to like do the detective thing correctly. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Audio Adventures was good. That's true. That's true. Audio mm -hmm. Adventures is very good. I want to. I want to stay within the DC Extended Universe. Yeah, I don't want to get depressing on this podcast. <laughs> uh, I did want to. I did want to note, and this doesn't have anything to do with Batman, but I thought I'd mention it um, because we really like the Suicide Squad. We did all that preparation for Suicide Squad. The reviews are in for Peacemaker, which is the spinoff show from Suicide Squad oh. featuring John Cena. It releases on January thirteenth, so uh, like half a week after this episode is going to release. Mm -hmm. And the general consensus from the reviews seems to be that it is a fun show with good performances, but it isn't anything groundbreaking or a must-watch. Mm. There's a few people who are praising James Gunn for his like writing and his, um, you know, his characterization and and all that sort of stuff. But most of the reviews seem to be like, yeah, it's a fun show to just sort of have and watch, but nothing like you know, it's a must-watch type deal. Yeah, I mean, DC's not really doing that kind of like Disney Plus thing that, that Marvel's doing. It's like, oh, you gotta watch this. It's super important that you understand this continuity. Even just beyond continuity, I mean, I enjoy outside of continuity. I enjoyed the Loki show. I thought it was like a really yeah. interesting concept, and it had interesting characters. WandaVision was groundbreaking. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but 
My mom watched WandaVision without watching any other Marvel anything. (laughs) And she had surprisingly few questions. She kind of wanted me to spoil the whole thing for her, and I didn't. And mom, if you're listening to this, which I know you are, you should definitely finish WandaVision. (laughs) And we can talk after if you have any questions. But yeah, it's only like three hours long, so you should just watch it. And then uh, keeping on topic of things that are going to be on HBO Max, I wanted to cover that Young Justice is on hiatus until what we think is going to be spring. Uh, I still think it's December. I think that the it may begin, source I found is right. It may begin after Peacemaker airs its last episode, which is going to be sometime in March. Uh, though that website that you found said it would be December. That website was Tech Radar, and it was like 247 or something. It wasn't even the real Tech Radar website. I think it was just a clickbait website. All right. Uh, so yeah, Young Justice is on hiatus. If you haven't seen the first part of the series, eh, it's okay. If you like the first couple of seasons of Young Justice, you, you'll probably like it. You'll enjoy seeing where what they're doing with the characters and where it's moving. I'll be honest. I didn't love it. Yeah, it's okay. It's like a shell of its former self. It's true. It's true. They, they, they've they moved away from like teenager drama like mixed with superheroes. And it's more of them doing like bigger DC universe world building stuff. They don't even bother to animate the show all that much anymore. <laughs> there's true. like ex- there's like slideshows and stuff. There's extended scenes of slideshows in every single episode. Yeah. And I just didn't really like the way that they did it with the like arcs. They're like, okay, let's focus like four episodes on like just this character and their arc. And then another four episodes on just this character and their arc. So, you know, if you don't care about tigress you're stuck watching her adventure for like five episodes until it moves on to somebody else who you can maybe hope that you'll like whereas the other show you know if you didn't really care that much about you know tigress you could at least enjoy the 15 minutes of the episode that had to do with dick grayson or the 15 minutes that had to do with connor and megan and all that other stuff but no you're stuck with these characters yeah and they're trying to do these like you know, they moved away from teen drama into, like, real drama. So they're dealing with, like, you know, uh, Garfield Logan has is depressed because he watched Connor Kent die. And yeah. he has to try to figure that out. And I'm like, this show is not fun anymore. No. It's just sad. <laughs> That's true. I don't know. Okay. And then finally, finally on the news docket. I'm sorry, we're we're like 20 minutes into the episode. We're still doing news, but it's been it's been a while since we've talked to the people. That's true. That's we need true. to tell them our thoughts on things. I, I wanted I just wanted to say that DC will be releasing Strange Love Adventures on February 8th, which is another large collection of stories in the vein of like the Villains special or the Tis the Season special that I talked about last episode. And this time it's centered around Valentine's Day. Cute. So look forward to that in Josh's reviews. There's going to be something like eight stories in it. I have I have them pulled up here. There's a Harley Quinn story, a Flash story, a Peacemaker, Blue Beetle, Shazam and Superman, Alfred, Sergeant Rock, and then Batman. And Are there any uh, like headline-grabbing writers like Danny um, DeVito? <laughs> no, I don't think so. It's all real writers. It's all like real comic writers, okay. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to read it with you. I like okay. that font. That's like the Barbie font. Yeah, it, it's got really interesting. They revealed the covers. It's got some interesting covers. This one is sort of uh, one of the one of the covers is set up to look like um, like a, a love magazine type thing. It says like inside first dates gone wrong <laughs> and stuff like that. 
And then the other cover has Harley Quinn in a, uh, uh, what's that? The dating game. Yeah, the dating game television show. And she's talking to like a bunch of villains who are on the other side. Croc and looks like Shazam, or no, Black Black Adam Adam, and Ivy. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. So, like I said, look forward to that in in Josh's reviews coming up uh, after Valentine's Day. By then, we will have a transition, and the transition won't be the, it'll be me saying, this is not news. (laughs) The comics that you've read are not news. (laughs) People need to know if they need to spend, if they want to spend the $10 that these things cost. I suppose. Okay. I am done with news, which means that it is time to move on to the comics, right? Mm-hmm. Silver Age Review, Detective Comics, number 358, The Circle of Terror. Cover date, December 1966. Writer John Brune, penciler Sheldon Moldov, inker Joe Giella, letterer Gaspar Saladino, and editor Julius Schwartz. We're in the end of the Silver Age here. This is uh, post-Alfred's death and resurrection. This is uh, actually, interestingly, one of the few that still has Aunt Harriet and, and Alfred in like the same scenes, mm-hmm. but not until the very end. The cover shows Spellbinder with his garish orange and yellow suit sending a beam from his third eye into Batman's face. Okay. We have to talk about this costume. Okay. This costume is a train wreck. (laughs) There are some villains, uh, the iconic ones like Riddler, Poison Ivy, and even some lesser known ones like the Eraser and Catman. That You can look at them and you're just like, yeah, I know what they're all about. Questions, plants, erasing stuff, cats. Spellbinder's whole look is so busy and so vague and it weirdly draws your eye like directly to his crotch and there's not one appealing pattern and the colors are terrible. It's just it's you just know what awful it sort of reminds here. me of is like the Zodiac Master also had sort of a, a garish costume that didn't really make any sense. Although, like you said, at least with him, you could see like the the symbols yeah. for the months and stuff. You're like, I think I know what those are. I know what that's this about. This guy's about Zodiac stuff. Exactly. Yeah. This this is just he's got like a pinwheel. He's got some zebra stripes polka dots, uh, like a checkerboard pattern. It looks like he murdered and skinned several circus clowns and then is wearing that as his costume. (laughs) And like stitched them together in like a fevered haze. (laughs) That's what his costume looks like. Uh, Okay, so then we have the splash panel, which is, you know, the interior for the story shows Spellbinder doing cartwheels as Batman looks on. <clears throat> well, the interior cover definitely gives more of a clue to like the functionality of his costume, but you really you you could have done without any of the other patterns besides the spiral. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. We called open on Spellbinder and his gang just having robbed an antique store at midnight when the dynamic duo cruise by in the Batmobile. As the caped crime fighters begin pummeling the crooks, one of them, who Spellbinder calls Dipsy, calls out to Spellbinder to help them take care of Batman and Robin. Dipsy is a hell of a name for a henchman. <laughs> I really like, there's another henchman that has another ridiculous I, name. We'll later. get to it. We'll get to it. Okay. I, you know what? I have theories, actually. <laughs> so Spellbinder begins cartwheeling as Batman rushes towards him. Harley Quinn stole Spellbinder's gymnast gimmick. 
and, and places Batman in a trance where he suddenly finds himself overlooking a big clock of the Lifetime Publications building in Midtown Gotham. Batman briefly turns into Temple Fugit. Oh, yeah, that's true. His little eyes he turn into clocks. He gets clocks in his eyes when he's, like, hypnotized. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the exact same costume design that they have for the Clock King in the animated series. Mm -hmm. He has the, his, like, glasses that are shaped like clocks. Mm -hmm. Well, technically all glasses are shaped like clocks, but his have, like, little hands in them. <laughs> so he's looking at the clock, and he can, like, see what time it is. But, um, actually, if this really was a dream, he wouldn't be able to read the clock face because you can't read in dreams, as we learned in Batman the Animated Series Season 1, Episode 26, Percent to Dream. Uh, and that's not a real thing. Right. <laughs> the not being able to re read in dreams is not a real thing. Well, you know what? We'll learn about some other stuff that's not real in this comic, so there you go. <laughs> So anyway, he sees these crooks on the clock tower and begins fighting them, but he notices that they make no sound when he hits them, and the gang begin to pull at him and throw him off of the clock tower. Meanwhile, back in the real world, Robin turns away from Spellbinder's gang and finds Batman frozen in fear, shouting, No! I've had those dreams where you're falling and you wake up right before you hit the ground, haven't you? Yeah, I've had those. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's actually impossible to like hit the ground and die in a dream. Like I've never had a dream where I was falling and I actually hit the ground. Like I don't you sort of. Think I have. I've I've had the feeling of like like feeling like I hit my bed, but that was just because I was probably like thrashing. Yeah, I think I think I have like had times where you feel like you're falling and you're like your muscles are tensed up when you wake up, like you're you're like ready to catch yourself type deal. Yeah. So anyway, Batman wakes up just before he hits the ground in the dream, as you said, with Robin remarking that he looks like he just had a brush with death. Which Batman replies, I, I did. Okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, they also let the criminals get away. The next day, Batman, in full costume, goes to see the police doctor, who tells him that he is in perfect physical condition, but that he should be careful because... Medical history is full of cases of people who have died during nightmares and that he may have been killed by the imaginary fall. This doctor is full of shit. <laughs> I know people can die in their sleep, but not from nightmares. Batman, get a second opinion. <laughs> Come over here. And in my corner, it's a forced, reluctant, Becca's fact corner. Okay. So somebody told me that I have to actually look this up. So I did. Uh, so there's a condition called Sudden Unexplained Nocturnal Death Syndrome, or SUNS, which uh, causes cardiac death in sleep. There was a case study done on 100 South Asian men who died in the 1980s, and SUNS is primarily found in men in their 20s through 50s, who usually have some sort of genetic link that causes heart damage. According to Kimberly Fenn, an associated psychology professor at Michigan State, in an article published in Teen Vogue, quote, SUNS is a genetically based biological disorder and is not the result of nightmares or dreams. She also told Teen Vogue, quote, Nightmares cannot kill you. Listen to Kimberly, Batman. <laughs> Kimberly was probably born like 30 years after this comic release. Oh yeah, no, at least. <laughs> Undeterred by the doctor's warning, Batman assures Robin that he will make sure that he nails the spellbinder before he can use the trick to mesmerize the Cape Crusader again. 
Batman has a plan. Knowing that the crooks will need to turn their stolen goods from the antique store into cash, he consults the Bat Book of Crime, a cartoonishly small notebook that looks to be an inch across. Why is it so tiny? And how good is Batman's eyesight that he can see it from like I was a couple like, of feet away? How coordinated must his hand be that he can write small <laughs> enough? Oh my god, so small. Have you ever seen those... Uh, Either that or he has a tiny typewriter. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen those things where people like write on a grain of rice? Yeah, it's I think like I have, that. yeah. Like it it requires like an insane amount of, you know, uh, what is it? Hand-eye coordination. Precision, yeah. Yeah, precision. I, I, there's a guy who does like miniature glass sculptures where he makes like tiny fairies that are like... Like on the, the head of a pin? Exactly, like yeah. the size of an ant or whatever, you know? Yeah. And, and it's insane people who can do that. I guess really? Batman has that skill as well, along with all of his other skills like ventriloquism and all that. You know, yeah, he learned it in the Far East or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he finds two fences in Gotham who specialize in rare coins. He heads to one and sends Robin to the other. At one of these fences, Spellbinder and his gang sell their loot for $50,000, which is $400,000 in 2022 money. I hmm. looked it up. This time, a man that Spellbinder calls Doodler asks why they can't just kill Batman while he's entranced. Dipsy and Doodler. A real A-team you got here, Spellbinder. <laughs> also, Doodler looks a lot like Dipsy. His hair's a little lighter, but he's wearing the same suit. Do they have to share suits in this gang? I was, so I was like, is he just calling these guys these names? I don't know. Like, is he just like, ah, like, is it is it supposed to be an insult or like in a term of endearment or something? Maybe, maybe. Like, listen to me, Doodler. Yeah, exactly. Listen here, Dipsy. Like, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's just a silly nickname that he has. Or well, like a... okay, Dipsy was in a few panels and he has yellow hair. And Doodler is in two panels and he's got, like, white blonde hair. Yeah. I don't know. Un un inconclusive. Consistency. Who Who is the colorist for this? Oh, uh, give me one second. Color was... Inker was Joe Giella. Consistency, Giella. <laughs> So Spellbinder responds that he doesn't want to murder Rap and that he plans on finishing off Batman in a way that no one will be able to prove, which I guess is implying that he's going to get Batman to like commit suicide or something. He's going to give him sons. <laughs> no, he's going to kill him in a dream. So it'll look like Batman is just like dead. Like had a heart attack in the or whatever. Street. Yeah, yeah, no one was there around. Just as they are talking about this, Batman descends upon the crooks. But before he can get a punch in, Spellbinder pulls out a toy propeller that produces another spinning illusion that plunges the masked manhunter into a trance. Transported, Batman finds himself in the Batcopter, following the gang, which has landed their own autogyro onto a moving train to rob it. Landing a helicopter on top of a train sounds like a terrible Grand Theft Auto mission. It sounds like one of the hard ones that you have to restart over and over again. <laughs> All you had to do was land the helicopter on the damn train, CJ! <laughs> Batman lands his helicopter on the train and begins pursuing the gang, who begins shooting at him. He knocks one of them out by holding him up to a slowly spinning blade of the autogyro, but the thugs again outnumber and overpower the Cape Crusader, throwing him off the train and sending him plummeting off the bridge into a whirlpool in the river below where he begins drowning. 
In the real world, it is once again Robin, who, after having found no one at the other address, grabs the arm of a Batman who is spinning wildly in the street. I'd love to see that. <laughs> the two return to the Batcave, and Batman gives a stirring speech about fighting your fears to Robin, who is still worried about his men- mentor's mental state. It would be weird if Batman wasn't afraid of death. I feel like he'd be a lot more reckless and less effective as a superhero. If he wasn't afraid of death? I mean, he's he, he admits that he's afraid of things. He just overcomes his fears. Yeah. You know, he, he fights against them. I'm sure that uh, his father was a doctor, so he must know the importance of the biological response of fear. Exactly. But I don't think he's specifically afraid of, like, falling or specifically afraid of drowning. I think he's afraid of failing. Oh. Or or death. Like, he's afraid of failing and he's afraid of death, which mm. are the two things that is, is being, like, thrust upon him in these dreams. So the two begin their nightly patrol once more, seeing a firework that Spellbinder has set off in order to lure Batman back for a final encounter. As they arrive on the scene to confront the crook, Batman unwittingly sets off a booby trap that sends a pinwheel into his field of vision, transporting him once more... This time to an amusement park, where he is assaulted by a strongman, an Indian contortionist, a sword swallower, and a dwarf. Yes, um, I looked up, so he calls him an India rubber man, which I'd never heard before. Me neither. So I looked it up. I guess you must have also. Yes. Uh, It was based uh, on a short film, it seems. Like, the idea of an India rubber man uh, was a short film of the same name from 1902 about a circus performer. So, I don't know. I would guess that it's a contortionist. Yeah, it's just a contortionist. But from India. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he's wearing, like, the typical uh, head wrap and, and like, the, the jewel in the center of yeah. it and all that. He's like a Sikh. Yeah, yeah. It's obviously not um, a culturally sensitive portrayal of an Indian <laughs> person. Because, in 1966, Because you it was say? 1966. <laughs> Very othered. Batman spots the spinning tunnel at the park and realizes that it is rotating clockwise, just like the clock in the first dream and the rotor of the autogyro in the second dream. He believes that if he can reverse the spin, he may be able to escape the dream. So he lunges for the controls and changes the direction of the spin just before he is slashed by the sword swallower, pulling him back to reality. That's cool. Batman kind of like figured out how to lucid dream. Yeah. Which I feel like the real Batman probably. Oh, for well, sure. The real I think... Batman. <laughs> I feel like Batman also knows how to lucid dream. I would love to learn how to lucid dream, wouldn't you? I hear that there's like things, steps that you can take. Yeah. Where. But I've heard that if you do it wrong, it can also lead to sleep paralysis. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's scary. Yeah, right? That's what stops me from like trying to fig- to like train myself to do it because I don't, because sleep paralysis seems terrible. The, the steps that I've heard that you can do, if any of the listeners want to try it, is every time you go into a room, try a light switch, I think. And because, like, in your dreams, you won't be able to turn the lights on and off. Like, you can't change the lighting conditions in your dream or something. Mm. So if you make a habit of it and it becomes, like, part of your daily routine, you'll try to do it in your dream and it won't work. And that can, like, make you realize that you're not dream. It's basically, like, how to lucid dream is basically, like, forming habits that won't work in dreams so you can, like, realize that you're dreaming. That sounds like a really good way to form OCD. <laughs> I have had dreams where I'm trying really hard to do something 
and I, it's just not working and I can't figure out why, like, this is going to be a little bit TMI, but like, I'll have dreams where like, I really have to go to the bathroom and like, I can't seem to go to the bathroom that just means and then it just have, means that i have to go to the bathroom to but like my brain is telling me like no don't pee in your bed <laughs> <laughs> so i've had i've had those kind of dreams before um, or like i'm trying really hard to like get somewhere or like get someone else to go somewhere with me mm-hmm. and i just can't i've definitely had dreams where i've realized it was a dream in the dream but i can't do anything about it i can just sort of like act as I would in a normal situation yeah. in like the weird dreamscape. I would say that the most common emotion I feel in dreams is frustration. I don't know what that says yeah, about me. For sure. No, no, no. Yeah. I, I'm the same way. Like almost every time I have a dream, it, if it's not a nightmare, it's like a dream where I can't do something. Yeah. What is that? I don't know. It's something, I guess it's like the disconnect between like your mind not being able to control your body like while you're sleeping. Maybe. I, you know what? If anybody out there just has like nice, pleasant dreams where you're like, you know, just like hanging out in a field. Like, <laughs> tell us your secret because we would love to. <laughs> I go to sleep and I just get stressed out. <laughs> it's just stressful. So back to the comic. With his full wits about him, Batman and his sidekick pummel the Spellbinders gang into submission. And after the criminals are put away, Batman tells Robin that they found out that Spellbinder was an art forger who had discovered the trance-making effects of optical art and put his skills to use to, in crime. Optical art, also known as optical illusions. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The next day, Bruce and Dick go to an op art exhibit with Aunt Harriet and Alfred, where Bruce does not enjoy himself because he says it hurts his eyes. No. <laughs> this reminds me of the time I was forced to go to the insectarium for a school field trip. <laughs> and uh, I have arachnophobia, and it was not pleasant. <laughs> So that's the end of the comic. Mm-hmm. Any any other notes on Spellbinder? Moral of the story? Uh, moral of the story is... Uh, Overcome the, your dreams. Become stronger than your become dreams. Become stronger than your dreams because, contrary to popular belief, uh, a dream cannot kill you. Now, you can die in your sleep, but that doesn't mean that you should necessarily be afraid of that. It doesn't make any sense for them to have said, like, yes, people have had nightmares and died in their nightmares. What did they do? Ask the guy when he woke up what what happened when he died? Exactly. He's not going to wake up if he died. There's no way to tell, unless they had him in an MRI machine, that he was dreaming when he died. Yeah. To take it back to Kimberly Fenn, she works at a very busy sleep center in New York City and has for like many, many, many years. And she has never, ever encountered any single case of a sudden unexplained nocturnal death syndrome. So mm. it's extremely rare. Okay. I did want to note at the end of this comic, uh, in the letters to the editors section, a reader refers to the early 1940s as the golden age. Hmm. So even as far back as 1966, they were already calling like the 40s the golden age. I don't know of what this is, but it's not. But it, it sure does suck more than the last one. <laughs> yeah, it's well. not as good as the comics I read when I was a kid. Yeah, that it was sort of the. <laughs> Sort of the, the uh, what was it, the sentiment of that. I think we should try to make every age the golden age. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Does it make you sad that it doesn't feel like we're living through the golden age of anything? I mean, it's not the golden age of comics. It's not the golden age of music or musicals. We theoretically lived through the golden age of television, right? That happened oh, in like yeah. the early 2000s or something? Yeah, but like we were too... Those were... <sighs> 
We, we weren't we were old enough to, to watch like The Sopranos. That's true. Succession. I mean, we great, can though. we can rewatch that stuff. True. That's true. And I, you know, I can always re. We can always reread the comics or re-listen to the musicals. I just don't understand why everything in the fifties was like, oh, it's the golden age. It's like they really didn't think it was gonna like get better than like Oklahoma slaps. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Oklahoma objectively slaps, but like. There were better musicals after the golden age of musicals. Like just cuz just cuz that's when Rodgers and Hammerstein wrote like, you know, six great musicals in the span of a decade. Like who who cares? I was going to say I think it, it's it's a it's like a consistency thing where, you know, No, 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 no. Because there was trust me, I have a degree in musical theater. There were some big stinkers also. <laughs> there were still flops. There were still terrible musicals back then. And there were terrible comics, also. That's true. No, you're 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 right. I mean, before the comics code was put into place, I'm sure there was some pretty bad stuff. I mean, this stuff is bad in its own way, in that it's just sort of milk toast. Like the, these Silver Age comics all sort of follow the same formula, and they have quite similar, mm-hmm. like you know, storylines because they were limited in what they could do. But uh, you know, they're they're um. What's the word I'm looking for? Predictably bad, hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> there's never there's never like a standout one of these. It's like, wow, that was a really great comic. But there's also none of these that were like, wow, that was the worst comic I've ever read. Which is something I can say of some of the recent comics I've read. Yeah, that's true. All right. You want to jump into Rogue Roundup? Yeah, let's talk about Spellbinder. So there's not a ton to say, but he does have a... Sort of an interesting little history. Mm -hmm. So this was the first appearance of Spellbinder, obviously. The second appearance of Spellbinder was actually in a Superman comic. Uh, When facing off against the Man of Steel, Spellbinder wore a shock-absorbing chin guard so he could take Superman's punches without getting knocked out. And he also wore special hypnosis-blocking lenses because it's revealed in this comic that Superman uses subconscious hypnosis heightened by the Kryptonian lenses in his glasses to successfully disguise himself as Clark Kent. So the people of Metropolis aren't stupid. They're just being hypnotized. Exactly. Yeah. It's that comic that established that uh, at least Silver Age Superman, pre-crisis Superman, is constantly emitting like low-level hypnotic suggestion. Exactly. (laughs) Superman's powers... I mean, we've talked about this a couple of times. Superman's powers in the Silver Age were just wacky and out there. He had like every single thing. that He has like precognition in the Silver Age and stuff. He's, He's... absurdly overpowered yeah um and uh they they fixed it in in like reboots and stuff i think superman is the best when he's closer to his original like tellings where he can leap tall buildings in a single bound and you know he's he's the strongest man alive and he can like deflect bullets but he's not like an all-powerful god like he becomes in some of the later stuff i think one of the interesting things that they did with the superman animated series that came in the 90s after the batman animated series was they scaled back his power from like even what it was in the comics Mm -hmm. because i think in in the superman animated series he even has to wear like a spacesuit if he wants to fly out in space Mm -hmm. because he can't survive in like the vacuum of space that makes sense yeah you know it's um it's interesting to see sort of the power creep and then like the cutback of how superman's powers have fluctuated over time Mm -hmm. if you want to learn more about that comic where he uh fights spellbinder and he has like that low level hypnotic suggestion thing 
Casually Comics, the YouTube channel, did a pretty good video that covers like that entire comic and also sort of the history of Superman's uh, hypnotic suggestion. Exactly. In a later comic, we're introduced to Spellbinder's girlfriend, Faye Moffat. The two cross paths with the demon lord, Naron, who offers to trade them immense power for their souls. Faye thinks that there is no downside to this, so she actually kills Spellbinder and then becomes Lady Spellbinder, able to induce real hallucination in her victims. She also wears basically nothing because it was 1995, <laughs> and I want you to come take a look at the panel I pulled up. So this is a front view. Okay, you can okay. See it. Here's a back view uh, there. Oh, jeez. Okay, so she's wearing like a small like crop top jacket and a studded belt with a thong basically yeah i i would say it's a like a bikini bottom but it's definitely like a cheek a cheek clenching clencher (laughs) yeah uh it's sort of like a little it's basically just a belt uh, that's about it, honestly. Wow. Uh, so in her first fight with Dynamic Duo, it's revealed that her hallucinations are so real, they can even be seen when the victim closes their eyes. And the only way to defeat her is for Robin to act as Batman's eyes, leading him using sort of like a VR technology that looks straight out of a mid-90s video game. And I have that pulled up here, too. It's like a little bit Ready Player One. Oh, yeah. A little bit. There's a video game that came out in 96 called Ripper, uh, which is about uh, somebody who's killing people in a Jack the Ripper style VR video game (laughs) kind of thing. And uh, there's a guy who's like playing the video game and he's basically in like a little like baby sling it's like he's all like hooked up he's like in in the matrix it's very strange yeah i mean it looks exactly like they would imagine vr tech to look like in the 90s where it's a full like cybernetic outfit that's hooked up to him everything is platform it's like run on it exactly everything is like physically attached to him where you know, modern VR, we have like cameras set up that look at your body and track your movements. But this is like fully, you have to physically move the suit in order to get whoever you're controlling moving. Exactly. <laughs> also, I wanted to mention uh, on that panel that you showed me that's the, the rear view, she's standing in some sort of like, uh, like, what is that, meadow? Yeah. And it looks like Thumper from it Bambi like Thumper. Is, is like there. Yeah, I don't know. That's a hallucination she kept up for herself because she was bored. <laughs> Once she's taken down, it's discovered that if her eyes are covered, she can't cast illusions. So in a later appearance where she fights the birds of prey, Barbara takes her out just by blinding her with a fire extinguisher. Wow. Yeah. So after that, she wasn't really much of a threat once they figured out, like, oh, just take out her eyes, and then she can't do anything. <laughs> in New 52, the mantle is taken on by a Russian magician named Viktor Miranov. And this one actually helps John Constantine fight the Cult of the Cold Flame. However, mm. he is killed in that battle, and the character hasn't returned to the comics. Oh, so. interesting. Yeah. So he is, like, ripe for the returning, perhaps? Perhaps. Mm. Rebirth. I mean, I think I think I think they're bringing Faye back in this costume. The, you think Lady Spellbinder should come back? Yeah, I think she'd be cool as like sort of a like a Raven type like spellcaster mm. mage kind of thing. Interesting. You would want to see her as like a hero, or you would still want to see her as a villain? No, a villain. Okay. Yeah. Now, I know I said Raven, but you know. Yeah. No, I get you. I get you. Mm-hmm. So we also watched an episode of 
Batman Beyond. And the Batman. And also the Batman. Which are two adaptions of the character. And I think his Batman Beyond is probably one of the most well-known adaptions. Slash maybe the most well-known appearance of Spellbinder. Because he's a regular in Batman Beyond. He shows up for three different episodes. And he's also a regular in the Batman Beyond comics. He appears a a few times. Because he works at Terry's school. (laughs) Yeah, he, he's become like one of the main characters in the Terry McGinnis Batman Beyond like rogues gallery. It's him, Ink, Blight, uh, and a few others. Yeah. I also enjoyed watching that episode. There was like some references to both the old comic that we just read, mm-hmm. uh, as well as a little a couple of references to Lady Spellbinder. Yeah, yeah. You want to talk about like the whole episode? Do you want to like give a little synopsis of the plot? Yeah, basically. uh, So Spellbinder keeps showing up at various places and hypnotizing people into stealing valuable things and then like handing them to him. Mm -hmm. But it's cool because we like go inside their visions to like see what they see, which we also see in this comic. Um, So for the first one, he hypnotizes somebody to give him. It's like an idol or something that her oh, yeah. father, it's like a little statue that her father had bought. Yeah, but she sees herself going through like a jungle, like, you know, hacking away at, at, at leaves and stuff. And yeah. then she grabs a little idol and she throws it in the ocean because she thinks she's casting it into like a, pit a of volcano. Lava. Yeah. Like she's Frodo. <laughs> and uh, yeah, then Spellwinder picks it up. Uh, no, the one that I actually, that I really liked though was the sort of the Vietnam flashback yeah. of the guy who works at the, I don't know, the it princess. Was like a fashion designer or something. Yeah, it's like some permanent collection of like some princess's gowns or something. Mm-hmm. And he... Uh, he, he drags what he thinks is like his comrade's fallen body. But in, in reality, it's just a mannequin wearing like an expensive dress. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, and then eventually Terry figures out who he is, catches up to him. Uh, and then they use the same technique that Batman and Robin used fighting Lady Spellbinder, utilizing Terry's, like, video link through his cowl with Bruce in the Batcave, kind of telling him, like, okay, look over here, block now. Yeah. So that he can tell Terry what to do and Terry doesn't have to rely on his own senses. Yeah. And then the second time you see Spellbinder in the animated uh, Batman Beyond series is he shows up in an episode where he puts people in virtual reality and he basically builds a virtual reality that is like your greatest dreams. So for one person, I think it's like they become a rock star and they have like, you know, millions of adoring fans and they love it so much. And they become hooked on like the dopamine rush so that he doesn't even have to like hypnotize them to make them commit crimes he just makes them commit crimes because they need to pay to get back into the virtual reality to escape their their lives yeah it's it's like a it's a really great um sort of allegory for drug addiction and Mm. like chasing the dragon type thing yeah it's it's a really really good episode and then the third episode that he shows up in he tries to frame Batman for murder, where he makes police commissioner uh, Barbara Gordon see him, like, kill a guy who he had been chasing after, when in reality, Spellbinder has that guy, like, locked up, and he's just making the police think that they need to go after Batman because he's crossed the line and he needs to be stopped. Mm. But eventually, Batman, you know, finds Spellbinder and they, they get the whole thing cleared up. But 
you know, it's a... Uh, it's a good show. It is. Oh, it's a, yeah. Batman Beyond is a great show. It had the same writing team from the animated series. I kind of missed it because uh, I was a little bit too old to watch. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I, yeah. I wasn't really, well, first of all, I didn't really watch Fox Kids that much. Mm. For some reason, I did watch Batman the Animated Series, like, as a kid. But mm-hmm. for some reason, Batman Beyond, I was like, eh, I'm not going to watch that. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of, it skewed, it tried to skew for an older audience, like, not necessarily teenagers, but, like, you know, pre-teens kind of deal. Because I think they wanted it to grow up with, like, you know, the same kids who started out watching Batman the Animated Series were growing up. And they wanted to get it a little more grittier, a little edgier. And also, it was this thing where Warner Brothers had, like, dictated down to them, you know, Spider-Man does really well. Can you make Batman a teenager? And they were like, well... Sure, but we can't do Bruce Wayne as a teenager. So they mm-hmm. set it in the future where Bruce Wayne has like a protege. It's a great idea. And the, and the stories like set in a cyberpunk future fit the noir feeling of Batman very well because cyberpunk and noir are, are really like tied together. <sighs> anyway, so yeah, it, it's, a, it's a good show. It's, and uh, like I said, I think it's, it's the most famous like adaption or even just straight up appearance of Spellbinder. Yeah. And then we also watched an episode of The Batman. Which, which is was, not as good. No, it's not as good. It, it came out, that was a show that came out in like the early 2000s. Um, and that one had Spellbinder reimagined as like a Eastern mystic who uses his third eye to beam uh visions into people's minds it's basically like a a eastern mysticism mind over matter type thing where he can use his own mind to project like what he's seeing into other people it's vaguely racist (laughs) it's a little bit i don't think it's racist it's just uh i don't know it it does other like eastern cultures and stuff yeah it's a little messy i think it's interesting that 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 series leans into Batman's like training in in the world, you know, his his mental training underneath the monks, you know. I guess. Okay, well, I believe that is every single appearance of the Spellbinder, mm-hmm. and uh, we've covered the comic, we've covered news, and I think it is time to end the podcast. Yes, I believe so. So, as we always say, have a good week, everyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, follow us on Twitter at Batmates, and you can email us at batmates at gmail.com. And yeah, we hope you have a uh, really good time (laughs) in your life, and uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. No, it's it's so sad. It's so sad that the show's ending (laughs) right now, but we'll be back next week. Actually, no, we'll be back in two weeks because now we're going to do... Yeah, we'll do every other week. We'll do it. We'll stop pretending we're a weekly podcast when we haven't <laughs> been a weekly podcast in a long time. It's weird that button sounds like... Uh, it doesn't sound like booing. It just sort of sounds like a bunch of people shouting. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. See you later, everybody. Bye-bye, everyone.